Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our off-season coverage with a look back at the top 10 American women's seasons of 2021. Now, of course, it's worth noting there is not an American women in the top 10 of the WTA singles rankings to end the season for the first time in quite a bit of time. That said, when you look at the depth on the American side right now, whether it be players smack dab in the prime of their careers like a Jess Pagula, like a Danielle Collins, like a Jennifer Brady, whether it be the many uber-talented young players from Coco Goff and Lee, Claire Liu, of course, Amanda Nisimova, you can go all the way through to Katrina Scott, Robin Montgomery, Ashlyn Kruger, so much talent on the American women's side right now. That made this exercise extraordinarily difficult to complete and joining me on the show to help set me straight, help offer her list as well well break down everything that happened this season on the american women's side it's returning champion here to our crack racket shows she is now the marketing manager for universal tennis our friend nina pantic joining us on the show today to discuss which players made the biggest leaps in level debate the best american women of 2021 examine the depth in american women's tennis and so much more it is a fantastic podcast conversation that i know all of you listeners are going to enjoy of course it's busy times for us right now here at Crack Rackets. I've had some very fun podcasts of late. If you missed my conversation with Australian Open Wildcard Challenge winner Stefan Kozlov, you can go hear that on the Mini Break podcast feed right now. Of course, if you missed any of our College Contender series or any of our off-season content, you can find it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. We have a bunch of fun content in the Q2 unveil to all of you listeners over the next few weeks as well. So we are excited for this off-season season, no matter how short it may be. Plenty of fun conversations for us to have, plenty of exciting topics for us to explore. With all of that said, today's exciting topic, the top 10 American women seasons of 2021 with marketing manager for Universal Tennis, Nina Pantic. Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here at our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you may know her best as the marketing manager at Universal Tennis. I know her as my friend Nina Pantic. Nina, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? It's great to be back once again, hanging out with you. Oh, it is always a pleasure to have you. And again, the excuse to flex the podcasting muscles, I never need it, but it's got to be nice to get back on. I mean, again, I grew up listening to the show. You guys are one of the first in the business. So super excited to get the chance to chat with you over the next month. And I always am wondering, and I always like to ask this question, does tennis have an off season? What do you do with the three weeks between now and Mubadala? Like, do you enjoy yourself? Do you take some time off from the court? As someone that has been working in tennis for now, I think eight years, even though I'm in a new position, it all kind of is the same when you work in tennis, right? <laughs> you're, you're stuck and you're, you're stuck with the schedule and what happens in December, cause I'm still in content. And what happens in December is you start turning out these like recaps, which is exactly yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And that actually requires a lot of effort, you know, at baseline tennis channel and tennis.com, there was a certain way to it. 
at Universal Tennis, it's all a bit newer and we're trying to find ways to, to round out the year. And it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of time and a lot of reflection. So no, there is no off season. Maybe the players are going out to like the Maldives or wherever they're all going to their tiki huts. Uh, not for me. That's not how it works. Around Christmas and New Year's, I think that's when we kind of settle down. And that's when all players are gearing up with the off season or, or the preseason training. Mm-hmm. So I'll give myself that. I get Christmas and New Year's. I like that. No, I always say it as you never are more creative as a tennis podcaster than on December 22nd, where it's like, if you can fill that day, bravo to you. You Look, Alex, no one's listening to you then. (laughs) Well, don't tell our sponsors that. Quack that out, (laughs) Westoff. Don't let them know. Uh, But yeah, that's half the fun. You're right. And, you know, again, part of the reason I'm so excited to do this is it does feel like that December's the one month. Yeah, you can find ITFs. You can find challengers. You can find universal tennis events. And if you really want to follow day in, day out action, but this is that one period for reflection and now feels like a good time to do that. You're right. What is December for? It's for lists. It's for rankings. That's exactly what we're going to be doing here today. I wanted to talk about the top 10 American women's seasons we saw in 2021 and Look, just to get right into it, it was an interesting year in American women's tennis. Obviously, it started with a bang. Jennifer Brady makes the Australian Open Women's Singles Final, and that was off of a 2021 U.S. Open, uh, or excuse me, 2020 U.S. Open semifinal. Feels like it was all 2021, one big 15-month season. But, you know, she had all of the momentum on her side, and obviously injuries slow her down this year. But, you know, week in, week out, whether it was Jess Pagula, whether it was Coco Goff, whether it was Danielle. Collins you know it felt like there was a strong American women's tennis presence and yet you look at the rankings at the end of the year Nina no top 10 player uh, in the women's singles ranking on the American side with all of that said loaded question here we're we're rocking and rolling welcome back Uh, what were your thoughts on American women's tennis in 2021 I mean, when you look at the rankings, yes, no one's in the top 10. Serena is shockingly low, but yeah. there are 17 women in the top 100, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're densely packed in the 40s and 50s in the rankings, which is which is good. You know, each one's a little bit different. We'll get into a few of the players specifically, but that's a good number. And there's some people that stand out to me. Coco Goff, Jessica Pagula, you mentioned, you mentioned them. So they stand out to me because of how high they are. And then Serena because of how low she is. So there's a lot <laughs> going on. I mean, like, where is Venus Williams? I don't know. But it's it's a weird list because it's different than it's been in the years past. But it's also a good sign of, of what's to come in the future. Feels like a generational shift is happening and across the board in tennis. But it feels most pronounced, perhaps, in American women's tennis where you're right. I don't want to say the era of Serena Williams is over because, fun fact, there were four players on the year in the women's side to finish top 15 in both hold and break percentage. And Serena Williams was still one of them this year. And I know we only saw her in limited action. That's in, what, like 10 matches? But that was a little factoid that matters. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But you're right. It was new names. And it wasn't Keys. And it wasn't Stevens. It was Brady. It was Pagula. Goff, we've grown a little bit more accustomed to. But, you know, the Anne Lees of the world, the Claire Lou's of the world, making their push to the top 100 as well. It's an interesting time in American women's tennis, and obviously what we wanted to do today is rank some seasons. Let's talk about the top 10 seasons in American women's tennis. There was no criteria for this rankings list. There are never rules here at Crack Rackets. That's half the fun, and so you know, we decided I think the top names, top three names, pretty indisputable. I don't want to say indisputable in terms of the order, but I think it's a pretty clear-cut top three, so let's switch gears here. Let's start at the bottom of the list when you look at number 10, because to your point, there are a bunch of players like 30 to 70 right now, and it really comes down to what is your flavor of choice. So, Nina Pantic, I will turn to you first. Give me a player. It doesn't have to be number 10 directly, but 6 through 10. What is your flavor of choice when you look at this? Would it be bad if I said Serena? I mean, <laughs> no. So she's not on my list. I want to hear why oh. she top 10 for okay, you. Good. I like it. Okay, I don't feel bad then. I, <laughs> I just thought she deserves to be on the list because she's Serena Williams, but I also don't <laughs> – I, like, honestly don't think that she did – I mean, she's number 41. Like that's, that's dicey. So I have her on my list just because of respect, you know, that's mm-hmm. why I put her there. And I think that even if she didn't play that many matches, I think you said just a small handful, she's still playing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see her when she's playing. Here's my big takeaway from Serena for 2021. And I know this is a rough one to say, and perhaps some people will turn off the podcast right here. You're going to miss out on a really fun 40 minutes afterwards, but 
this was the first year where it really did feel like, okay, if she's in a Grand Slam, she's not just the inherent favorite. Like, this was the first year, I think, where you could make concrete arguments against that fact. And, I mean, look, the numbers below her career averages and hold percentage and break percentage, first serve win percentage. She's first 17 serve. matches. Yeah, exactly. And it's so— <laughs> you want. It's also, like, let's be clear here. Respectfully, she is 40 years old now. Like, to expect Serena to be 2014 Serena is just an unreasonable ask of her. That said, like— is this the first year where you can say pretty confidently she was not the best American on tour on the in the women's game since like I don't know oh three like oh two absolutely yeah. yeah look she she didn't make her she didn't make a big mark this year but there were still expectations for her to perform you still every tournament that she entered people still thought she was going to win and her record twelve and five she still won more than she lost you know I'm going to give her that she's number ten who was your number ten yeah no it's a fair sneak she's just off my list. Oh, I got creative. Yeah, I think you're going to like some of the names on the list. I went Jennifer Brady, number 10, for similar reasons as you to Serena. As it's just like, yeah, when we saw her, she was very good, but we just didn't see her that frequently. Like, you look for Jennifer Brady overall in the year, and the big number that stands out for her is the hold percentage. Jennifer Brady held at an elite rate whenever she was on court. She was fourth this season, 77%. That's a number you build upon. That's a number that keeps you in the top 25, no matter how deep the women's game goes. But again, after that run in Australia, we just didn't see much of Jennifer Brady. And you look overall, I think she was like, I think it's five and eight or six and eight overall post Australia. And, you know, again, was the final the best run of any American on the season? Yes, that's why she has to be on this list. But Outside of that, I think it's a testament to the depth in American women's tennis. That's why I have her this low, is there were just breakthroughs for other— I almost put Ashlyn Kruger in this spot, and I was like, ah, it's probably a little too soon for that. Yeah, exactly. I I had Madison Brangle initially. Okay, so I have Brangle on my list a little bit higher. Okay, good. Okay, good. And so I agree with you. She belongs on the list. But six and eight, like post-Australia. He was injured, or she is injured. There seems to be a lot going on there. Yeah, it's true, but— Despite that injury, I guess again, how much weight do you put behind the Australian Open? Am I wrong here? Where is she on She's your high. list? She's four. So what I okay, injury, <laughs> injury, notwithstanding, a, a Grand Slam final after making the U.S. Open final as well. So technically, she did it kind of back to back, almost back to back. Depends on how you mm-hmm. um, how you look at that. But she got injured. We don't actually know really what's going on that that detail. And I respect privacy. I kind of love that. But she also was supposed mm-hmm. to play Emma Raducanu in the U.S. Open first round, wasn't she? And she withdrew. Yeah, and she, so she plays a notable, mm-hmm. huge role in that storyline. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not okay, saying, and I, and I know you said 2021. So looking at season 2021, but I think I think she, if she gets healthy in time for next year, um, she'll, be, she'll be back at it. She's still number 25. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I would argue her loss to Clara Tossin might be a loss that we remember in history as like, oh, that was the Tossin coming out party, 9-7, third set, French Open first round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made the point earlier it's really been a 16-month season. I already regret this number, her at number 10. You have, you know, again, I had to start with some spice early, and now wow. I feel like it was a little too spicy. Um, it, yeah, it was mango habanero. I was shooting for a honey barbecue. Um, it's just, it's funny. I'm looking at the losses now. Here are the eight losses, by the way, post-Australia. Or the seven losses? Seven losses post-Australia. Conteve, Cerebez Tormo on a hard court in three sets. Kvitova. Pavlochenkova on clay, a withdraw against Alexandrova doesn't count, withdraw against Goff, second set, Georgie and Ostapenko. Like, actually, upon re-examination, this was a terrible take by me. I'm bailing out <laughs> of it early. Leave all of it in, Westoff. But I guess it's just, again, I, I suppose why I have her this low is I do think there are a lot of standouts here. So, like, my number nine, I'll just get right into it. I... I think Madison Brangle had a better year than Jennifer Brady. Like, if you look from start to finish, Madison Brangle was excellent all season long. And so, you know, she's number nine on my list. You look at what she was able to accomplish in particular down the home stretch. And you got to love someone at this point of their career just, again, recognizing, you know what? Maybe I should go play some 60Ks, some 80Ks. And she cleans up in Macon, Georgia, and, you know, a quarterfinal in Tyler and a semifinal in Rancho Santa Fe. And, you know, all of a sudden she's in Midland. She wins a title. She's 58 in the world. Like at age, you know, 30, 31, all you can ask is to be able to set your schedule. 
she gets to set her schedule in 2021. And to me, I think that's more valuable than what Brady t- – I mean, again, saying that out loud, I feel stupid. But in the moment, that was my thinking is it's just like that season to her, the value of it, the performance, it's number nine. It's a great season for Madison. It's not her career high for Brengel, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a great season for her to end the top 60 and to end it and to win the title in Midland. That's a women's WTA 125. It used to be smaller in ITF level last year when I was there. Um, and that's a really difficult – it suits her game so well because that's an indoor – like a very unique venue it's very very different there it's fast it's always freezing they played it later in the year than usual usually it's in february so it's a little bit unusual but she did an amazing job there there were some great people playing that event so i think she deserves the credit i had her on my list at 10 initially so i think she deserves to be top 10 and she's someone who used to beat me so badly all the time so (laughs) she deserves even more of a shout out for that i've never beaten madison brangle and uh yeah yeah, no regrets though. Clearly, a lot of losses. Uh, yeah, of losses. is there a match in particular you came closest? No, no, no. It was, <laughs> it was always very, very lopsided, and it was like in the pro level. It wasn't just juniors. We were like playing like you know tens and twenty fives and stuff as teenagers. Yeah, I remember them vividly. Yeah, there's yeah, no that, way she remembers any of this, which is phenomenal. I love that's that for good. myself. Well, while we're talking about that, Midland Dow Tennis Center, one of my favorite places to play, except for the fact senior year, my doubles partner and I lost one match. It was on my birthday. It was at Midland. I don't think about it all the time. I think about it. Yeah, I think about it all the time. Uh, it stuck with me. Um, and so I do agree, though. It's a fantastic tennis center. The difference is we were playing outdoors, and it was like second weekend of October, and you can't really feel your hands at that point, but that's that's when you learn northern tennis. That's what makes us tougher than everyone else. Um, yeah, and Brangle, I mean, you look at the win. She was pushed to three sets twice on her way, and, you know, an 0-0 victory in the quarterfinals. You're right. She was playing her best tennis at the end of the season and you know now she gets to go to australia with momentum on her side with a nice cache of points at the back of the year i love Uh, that for her yeah so thus she's my number nine who's your number nine okay so you're gonna probably hate this but and i'm not being biased just because she's a universal tennis wife but allison risk i think had a great year because of how she ended it you know she got a title her first title uh since 2019 i believe so it's been a minute and she also made uh, another final as well. So there's some consistency there. And I love to cheer for her because of her unique, the way that she hits the ball is very unique to me. And because she's literally our ambassador in the face of our company. So I would <laughs> give her a shout out for that, you know, universal tennis all the way. And um, yeah. Yeah. I always appreciate a good plug. Um, yeah. I, she did not crack my list. Now, was she that wow. good at the end of the season? Absolutely. But, you know, again, the, the win in Linz and, you know, gets a win over Christine Shinyu Wong, who's playing extraordinarily well, gets a win over Danielle Collins. And, you know, it wasn't just there also. You're right. It was, I think, what was it, in Spain, I want to say, was the other one where she made the final and she loses that final, I want to say. Slovenia. Oh, it's a Slovenia. new event, though. There's a bunch of new events. We, we, we can't be criticized for not knowing these. Yeah, I actually, it was a character-building exercise last year to be on the ostrava Linz grind. It was like two weeks of Sabalenka, but two weeks straight of just, you know, that that's where I learned the back half of the schedule. And yeah, then they pulled a switch up on us at the end of this year. And it was like, come on, like I'd just gotten in rhythm. Um, but you're right, back-to-back finals after a brutal start to her season. And you look for her overall that she managed to get to 16-16 and 16 is a testament to that strong finish. And, you know, finishes 51st at, at, in the rankings and very similarly to Madison Brangle, uh, that's where you want to be at this point of her career. Now, that said, I guess maybe it was the level we saw from her, what I want to say 2019 was the big breakthrough year where, uh, you know, she makes quarterfinals of Wimbledon and, you know, makes the final of Wuhan as well before losing in three sets. I guess it was just that was the level we last saw her at. And it did, it, it took her six months to get back there. But she, I guess that she did get back here. If they were doing just the last three months, she would be a top 10 player. I I couldn't have her in my top 10 because I'd like – so, again, who had the better season proportionally? No, what Allison Risk did or my number eight here in Sloan Stevens, who I would also say throughout the course of the season refound her form. And I think the Sloan we saw at the end of the year, whether it was – well, you know, Wimbledon, whether it was U.S. Open – that's much closer to the Sloan Stevens of 2017, 2018. And I think that development, her getting closer, is more significant than, you know, again, Brangle sort of regaining her footing at the end of the year. I didn't have Sloan on my list at all. So Okay, good. Another good, dis- there's good disagreements. I like this. 
There's too many, too many good players this year. That's my defense. Um, I love that she played world team tennis. I think that that's, that shows a lot of character, you know, obviously Kamal Murray is the coach of Chicago, but it shows character to play that event. Um, so yeah, I, I love Sloan, but I, I didn't have her on my list. I think it's good though, because it shows that there's so many people there, so many people in the top 100. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Who plays a bigger role in 2022, Allison Risk or Sloan Stevens? I know that's projection here, but that's why, again, I yeah, would say Sloan's fair. 2021 is because I just think, A, I think her ceiling is still higher than Risk's. You forget for Sloan Stevens, she's not even 30 years old yet, where it's just like, you know, age curve-wise, smack dab in the prime. Like, and there's no reason. I think it was a confidence thing more than anything at the end of 2019 and throughout 2020. And it just did feel like, you know, what is one of the significant things that we might take away from 2021 is that Sloan found her confidence again and just, you know, the results for her at the end of the season. And, you know, the draw gods uh, were definitely kinder to her. But for her to, what was it? I want to say fourth round at Wimbledon for her. And yeah, it wasn't the best fourth round performance or third round Wimbledon, excuse me, where she gets knocked off in three by Samsonova. Fourth round Roland Garros where she gets knocked out. There it is by Krejcikova to do that back to back. Three sets with Kerber at the US Open, beats Goff, beats Keys. Like even though she didn't get the title, I think her end of year run was better than Risks. And so that's why Sloan gets that spot for me. All right, we got to move forward. I think I want to go to the next one. All right, hit me with it. Okay, so number eight, I had Ann Lee. Ooh, way too low. Way what? too low. Ann Lee's number four on my list. Wow. I am drinking the Ann Lee Kool-Aid, though, incredibly hard. I want to hear why you have her at eight first. I only ever at eight because I thought that was a good place for anyone to be who's, like, first time top 50. It's a career high <laughs> ranking. Like, she came out of nowhere. I know that she made the final of the WTA 500 in Melbourne at the start of the year but that to me felt like a crazy time like we were living in another planet at that point things were not making sense they didn't even play the final that just seemed like a little bit of chaos and she did a great job of emerging from the chaos but that didn't seem like the right the right test I guess I don't know it was it was it was great a great performance but a weird time and then she wins the 250 in Tenerife so I don't know I think it's it's fun to see a player doing well at 21 because now that feels so young yeah, I don't think there was a player in better who was, you know, more upset to see see the season end at the end of the year than Ann Lee. She was playing so well. You're right, by the time things ended and it's worth mentioning what kept her out of the French Open, what kept her out of the Wimbledon run was just injuries. Like injuries were the reason she wasn't able to really flex her muscle in that portion of the year and she's a former junior French Open, I believe, finalist and it's just, you know, again, I don't think that surface will be a struggle for her and to me what just flashed is just the the tennis she's able to play her ability to get to the ball early and take it on the rise and you know so often well what's the weakness in Ann Lee's game I don't see it like yeah the second serve uses could use some work everyone's second serve could use some work and when you're saying that's the weakness for someone who's 22 21 20 years old like that is a good thing building forward and why she's number four on my list is it's not just the first she accomplished you know, first time in the top 100 and first time in the top 50 and just moving up all of these different ranks, first WTA title, it's how real it all felt. Like, it just felt like this was a byproduct of repetition, not a byproduct of just a jump-out result. And it's just like, okay, Ann Lee's on the level. She's in the top 50. She's not going anywhere. You look at some of the wins she earned down the home stretch as well against, you know, Begu and uh, Camilo Soria Serrano and just, you know, playing Clara Tossin extraordinarily tight a couple of times as well. And for her to go from Tenerife and, you know, that was match, I think, number eight for her in like a 10-day span. And that match goes three sets, the one she drops to Tossin in uh, or the, the following week. But she was right there. And like, I think Clara Tossin is the gold standard. I suppose that's a discussion for another time. And I think <laughs> Lee is competing right alongside of her. And, like, Lee is a name you have to factor in now when you're talking about the 21 and under talents. And there are many of them. She is one of them. Absolutely. She's way on that list. Yeah. High on that list. Which like is I why said, it's got to like be top five. Because so was she on the list entering the season? No. But, oh, no, she might have been. A top yeah, 21. she like, might have been. Yeah, it depends. Depends how big your top 21 or your 21 and under list is, I guess. But she's been on my radar for a long time, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's just, to me, it was the, 
again, the solidification of all the things we thought about her or the realization of all of them. And, you know, you look for her, again, by record against top 50 opponents, I suppose, you know, three and six overall in the year, but three sets against Kvitova, three sets against Tossin, and, you know, she gets wins over over Kudermatova. And just, I think even more impressive than that is the fact that, you know, again, it was her success against players ranked outside the top 100 as well, and just across the board, she killed it. And I, I think making the jump from outside the top 100 to inside the top 50, that's one of the toughest jumps to make, and that's why it's a top five season in American women's tennis. Because when we look back at 2021, I think we'll say, oh yeah, that was the first year Ann Lee really captured our attention. I hope so. I hope it's not one of those years and then there's fizzles. You know, you never really know what's going to happen. But I, I, the top 50 is a, is a big benchmark, so it's very exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, then, with that in mind, I love my number seven name. Did we hear your eight? Your eight, I'm, 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 my list is. A I feel like we've gone favorite. all over the place, but I think my eight was yeah. Anley. So who's your seven? Oh yeah, you're right. That Anley. You're right. Anley was your. So with that in mind, my number seven is Emma Navarro, the NCAA champion out of Virginia, who has now cracked the top 250 of the WTA rankings as well, and I think accomplished just about everything she set out to accomplish here in 2021. And, you know, again, I like to get creative. I like to look across levels. Is Emma Navarro right now one of the 10 best players in American women's tennis? The answer to that question is no. But when we look back at the narrative of the season, and narrative's a a false word because we create narratives, but when we look back and we want to tell the story, I do think Emma Navarro is on track to be one of those players who makes that successful jump that we've seen from the Collinses of the world, from the Sharmas of the world, from the Bradys of the world. Maybe not to that highest extent, but again, top 240, 20 years old. She was another former top junior in the world who elected to go to Virginia for a season, and she made the most of that opportunity by winning the NCAA freaking title. And, you know, you look for her. Uh, down the home stretch of the season. She wins a 25K in Orlando, makes a quarterfinal of a 60K in Berkeley, 19-13 and 13 overall on the year, a quarterfinal at the 125K in Charleston. And of course, always worth mentioning, Charleston, owned by the Navarro family. Never hurts to know, uh, you know, just think in mind, well, there are wild cards down the future. Should I need them? The difference now is if Emma Navarro gets those wild cards, it's not Emma Navarro, son of, I think it's Bob Navarro, or son, daughter of Bob Navarro, owner of uh, Charleston. It's Emma Navarro, NCAA champion, granted main draw wild card into Charleston. And I think, again, she's hit the checkpoints now where it's like, that makes sense. And I think it was one of the 10 most notable and best seasons of the year. You are a big Emma fan. Wow. I'm in. It's true. I do love when college players do well on the pro tour. I have a soft spot for that. And we were just, Universal Tennis was just in Las Vegas. We had the uh, college showcase and junior nationals taking place at the Darling Tennis Center alongside the ITA convention, a very powerful move to put everyone together. And at one point we had like a hundred college coaches milling around for the convention on the same site as where the players are competing in a dual match format. And they'll one day be going and playing college tennis. And there were some players that were very good that will be division one players. So, you know, you like to see how their development goes. And you mentioned her junior career. So it's cool that you followed her for so long and you've been kind of keeping an eye on her and now she's, she's doing well. So it, that's, that's fun. Do not make my list, but she deserves kudos because I love seeing college players do well. Yeah, the, it's not that she it's that I'm following her. It's that Colette Lewis follows her. And I follow well, Colette look. Lewis. Yeah, therefore, you know, I'm, Emma Navarro's on the radar. Um, no, I just, I, again, when you look at, so my question to you, uh, because obviously, this is something you were around and you know plenty of people who have weighed this decision also is for Emma at this point and we've hit the point at the list where I do want to start talking you know what is one question for them entering 2022 and we hit Ann Lee way sooner than I expected so I may get back to that when we get to the top five but when you look for Emma Navarro 19 to 13 top 250 in the world has already won the NCAA title every person's their own person but is that a profile of someone who's ready to go pro that's tough that's yeah. tough. I don't know because people have won NCAA titles and not done well as pros. And there's no True. way to kind of figure it out. What What is most important is who her support team is. And I think she's got a pretty strong one because obviously you mentioned the Charleston connection, but not even just that. It's just who's your coach? Who's your who's going to be your fitness trainer? Who's your hitting partner? Who's your doubles partner? Like who's going to travel with you? How are you going to travel? How are you going to pay for it? Where are you going to go? Like there's so many factors. It's not just how good her forehand and backhand is. So it's impossible to really tell. I don't think when an NCAA title guarantees that you're going to be top 10 pro. I really don't. And I don't think that not winning the NCAA titles means you shouldn't go pro. So it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I do think that she's a solid player and I think she's going to honor her own game and she does probably have a very good sport system. So it, things are looking good. Yeah, no. And again, speaking of the tennis, I thought the serve improved from the start of the college season to the end. And that's so critical when you're making that jump, obviously, to the pro circuit. And I mean, she's got the weapons from the ground to beat the Davatillas of the world, the Stella Perez Somaribas of the world. Those are players who right now are playing top 400 level, just happens to be within t- college tennis, and she was beating all of them by the end of the season. So that speaks to her level. I didn't mean to you know, suggest, and I don't think you were insinuating I was, no. that you know, the support system is the reason why she can go pro. But to have, you're right, it's all of the pieces, and that's what you're looking for, and the pieces are there. So that's, I think, a big thing to watch. Will she actually play for Virginia in 2022? Might as well. Give yourself another shot at the main draw wild card. Um, but with that in mind, give me your number seven. Oh, number seven was Brangle. I thought I didn't have her on the list, but I did. So we can we can gotcha. move ahead to six. My All six. All right, give it to me. Actually, surely at some point we're going to match up. But my six is Shelby. Ooh, so guess what? We matched up. Number six, Shelby Rogers. I like it. Make the case. Okay, well, obviously she's up to number 40 in the world. That's already enough of a case. That's super <laughs> yeah. impressive. And I think she's just put so much work into her fitness that, that it's paying off. And it's so nice to see that happening because as someone who's been through so many injuries, like such almost career ending injuries. So to have a healthy year means almost more than that career high ranking, at least from a perspective of someone who's watched her career for so long. And there's, there was some consistency, you know, quarterfinals, Indian Wells, round of 16 US Open. Obviously she does well on the hard courts, but that's okay. Most of the tennis is on hard courts. So that's going to be fine. I just, I, I think the career high ranking and the health was my biggest factors for her. Yeah, and you look for Shelby overall here this season, obviously 28 and 22, and starts off the year with an Australian Open, I believe, quarterfinal, and, you know, U.S. Open round of 16, where she beats Ashley Barty, and, you know, for her Indian Wells, she makes quarterfinals, beats Leila Fernandez, a fantastic match, 7-6 in the third, plays a really strange one uh, against Ostapenko in the quarterfinals, but a three-set result for her there, and, you know, to your point, number 40 in the world, that is her career high ranking, and that's what she ends this season and you know she'll turn 30 uh at the end of next year and much like we said with risk much like we said with brangle she's just positioned herself perfectly for this stage of her career where you get to set your schedule and to your point indian wells miami u.s open australian open you're getting into main draws like you have the opportunity and the events and the schedule to pad your stats and you know from a tennis perspective she just got better this season you look at you know the hold percentage which was at 70 percent that's three percent above her career average and was second highest number of her career and you know broke serve 35.7 percent which is two and a half percent above her career average and the highest number of her career and you know, much closer to the career average or the average of the top 50. And you look for the top 50, the average break percentage was 38.1. You know, Shelby could always hold serve with the best of the best of them. She proved that again this season, but the break, uh, you know, the return of serve game has come along and you mentioned it, the fitness, like Shelby was fitter than she has ever been this season. And I actually think this dates back. We got the chance to see her play at an exhibition in Lexington before the WTA Lexington last summer. And you could see it then. Uh, you never want to say winners, losers of the pandemic because we were all losers in the grand sense. But you could just tell the work Shelby put in off the court. It did all click for her this season. And I do wonder, Nina, it feels like there might be another level for her. Like, I really do think even though she is approaching age 30, I feel like she could get better. Like, I do think some things clicked this season. Did you see that? I did. I, I, I'm completely right about the serve. She has a very, very strong serve. And I, like I said, I mentioned the health. As long as she's healthy, there is no reason why she can't improve. I think 29, it's a fine age. Look, yeah. there's still time. Serena Williams is 40 years old, right? So yeah. there's there's a lot of time. And as long as you're committed to wanting to get better, there's no reason why she can't. Yeah. The backhand got better. She started playing more swinging volleys, I feel like, this year. like More it aggressive, just, more confident. Yeah. Yeah. And it all clicked for her. And again, that jump from 75, 80-ish range to top 50, that is the jump every player is chasing after. And obviously only 50 of them make it, and she made that jump this season. And again, in perspective of the list, that's why it's a little bit above Emma Navarro for me because that jump's more impressive. A little bit above Sloane Stevens because Stevens got back to that level, but she'd been there before. Rogers never had. You know, Brangle. I mentioned my regret for the Brady list, but just to check in, that that would be why she's at number six for me. Now, you look for Shelby, and again, I want to do these for all these players before we move on here. 
any question marks for her moving forward? Are there anything, you know, it, it does feel like it's a big cache of points to defend right away at the start of the season in the Australian Open quarterfinal. That's it. She might be seated. Like if things go her way and just it, I, I guess what's your biggest question about her game entering 2022? Yeah, the biggest thing is health. I mean, that's always going to be the biggest thing with her. So it's as long as she's healthy, I, I don't think there's any reason why she can't handle big stages. She's made, she's gone deep in grand slams before. So that's, once you've done it once, twice, three times, it, it becomes second nature versus it being a surprise. And it's not a surprise anymore for her to do on grand slams. A seating would be nice, but... Mm. we'll see i mean probably not australian open but yeah point. if she is not seated she's the worst case scenario as your second round or first round opponent you're just you know again i can see the espn graphics now and it's who's the dangerous dark horse and all of them have shelby rogers and be like that's really creative clearly you listened to the mini break on december 8th or whatever day this is going to be published <laughs> but um all right with that said, we agree on six. I don't think we're going to agree on five. And then I think, I mean, I know we're going to agree on the top three, but give me your number five. Well, my five was actually Brady, so we can go Okay. your five. Well, this is where things get interesting. And I imagine, given I know some of the names, that she's not going to be on your list. The Claire Lou bandwagon is back. Claire Lou, I wish, I wish, I wish, listeners, you could see the look on Nina's face right now that she is offering me the disgust. She's had a great year. I'm, I'm nothing against Claire Lou, but top five? Well, here's why. Because to go in, in such an early career, uh, young in her career, and Claire Lou is former Junior Slam champion, and Claire Lou was one of the people in that, you know, it was bigger than a quartet, honestly, but when you look in that generation of just Bellis and Kennan and Lou, and then it gets into Osigwe, and it gets into, you know, Coco Goff, obviously, Katie McNally, Emma Navarro, there was this big co- cohort of juniors from America in the late, two th- you know, 2010s, late 2010s, who were just all experiencing so much success at the junior level. And it just felt like, all right, we are primed for the post-Serena era. Whenever that era is going to begin, we've got a bunch of different bites at the apple. And by the way, we did an exercise like this at the end of 2019, and I had Sonia Kennan as my number two American after 2019. I said her season was number two. That one projected well. I feel that way about Ann Lee this season, but it's not too far off to where I feel about Claire Lou, where it's just Claire Lou reminded everyone this year where the talent is and, you know, back into the top, you know, into the top 100, I should say, for the first time, but back into that conversation and you look for her just overall on the season. I mean, an incredible year, whether it's from a record standpoint, you look for a 39 and 17. Anytime you're winning 70% of your matches, you are having a heck of a season. But it's, you know, the way she went about doing it, qualifying in Wimbledon, winning a first round match there, and, you know, making semifinals out of Chicago 125K, winning, you know, 100K in Charleston after winning the 60K in Charleston the week before, and qualifying for Charleston when it was Charleston 2, the WTA event, and all of that is to say it's worth remembering her season started at the 25k level she played orlando made semifinals there played boca made finals there played newport made finals there for her to go through each level of the grind have success at each level along the way build herself back into a top 100 player we're now age 21 years old you're playing tour level events. Ultimately, that's the growth curve you look to be on. And yeah, it looked like she was going to be one of those players, 16, 17 years old, who jumps out and has success right away. But you can see the weapons are still what they've always been. And the physicality is now there for her to be a top 100 player and even make a push further than that. And I just think when you answer that question, like, again, those are the biggest questions to answer, right? Can you be a top 100 player? There are thousands who are chasing it. She accomplished that this season after falling, you know, and capitalized on some momentum she had built in 2020 as well that got cut off. I'm just, I'm pro, I'm pro Claire Lou. She's, she's number five on my list. You should be, you should be. She, she's on my list in terms of like players in the top 100. Obviously, she made 95. But yeah. if you look at UTR rating, which I don't think you are, but if you are, she's actually up to number 86 in our rankings, which is based off of UTR rating, um, which okay. is pretty accurate because it reflects your last, your last year results, your most recent 30 matches. She's a 12.33, which if you comparison level, number one in the world is 13.36. So a long way to go, but she's ahead of quite a few other Americans in our ranking system that she isn't in the WTA rankings, which shows her current level of play. So she's actually playing better than she is ranked at WTA level. 
No, which all is cool. I, which is a cool fun fact. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that back into my argument when we get to number one because I got some points there for that. I point. like that. Well, you look for Claire Lou if you want to throw in other metrics. 97 by yearly ELO rating, which is you know what they use at Tennis Abstract, and you look for her overall ELO rating now. She's in a very similar range as well. I think she's number 106 right now in overall ELO. And for the record, if you listen to College Contenders – Listeners will know we love ourselves some universal tennis. Oh, good. And yeah, we're always doing those team by team. I should have known that. Big college, yeah. big college, yeah. Yeah, come on, that's the cheat code. Right. You got to do the match calculus somehow. Look, well, it um, works. But yeah, it, it really does. Which is, it, we're off track. It's a conversation yes, for another time. Another Look, day. universal tennis. My, you have my number. Sponsorships available. All of that said, um, I do think when you look at Claire Lou, because Brangle, you mentioned it, top fifty or top sixty. Career highs 35, though. Did we learn anything new about Madison Brangle in 2021? No. no. Right. Did we learn anything new about Stevens, Brady? I would say no. We learned a little bit new about Shelby Rogers, but we knew she had top 50 in her. She was just healthy enough to do it this year. We learned Claire Lou has top 100 in her and more, and that's why she's number five on my list. And obviously, I already gave out my number four in Anne Lee. Everything I just said about Lou applies to Lee once again, but the biggest difference being hers is top 50, not top 100 jump. That's why she's ahead of Lou in this list. That's why she's number four, because those are the two young Americans who popped this year. And it's just like, that matters. When we're looking at 2022, we'll be checking the draws. How did Ann Lee do? How did Claire Lou do? And we weren't saying that before. Oh, Look, if we're, if we're going this deep, I mean, I should have put Haley Baptiste in there for cracking top Oh, 200. she was in your – her and Ashlyn Kruger had a serious debate before I realized I can't leave off Jennifer Brady. Yeah, there's too many There's too many, There's too too many. many women. It's, it's, it's a good problem to have. I know. Absolutely. And so with that said – Now I feel stupid because my number four was just based purely on ranking and it's Kenan just for being number 12. So oh, I got nothing. Well, I know. we're going to cut that. No one heard. No one knows. Yeah, we're making that Terrible. up. So then if you could throw one additional player, move everyone up a spot – would 10 Ooh. be ba- who would be the 10 baptiste lou i guess it would have it would have been it would have been lou so yeah it's a good Baptiste ad. was close yeah she's good i really like i Haley's felt bad good. i feel like kenan you know like number 12 is still pretty impressive even if you had like one of the worst years ever like number yeah. 12 is, is respectable it's also worth remembering she kind of showed up at that french open and she beats ostapenko early on and like that was a really good win like yolanda ostapenko goes on to have a dynamite grass court season that was particularly impressive. Like, it really, you're right. She's still, so this is two separate things. And I knew, I'm so mad at myself because I wanted to text you yesterday. And as you've learned, not the best at that. Um, and say, hey, I'm going to do top 10 seasons, not top 10 players. But if the question is top 10 players, I still still do think pretty unequivocally, Sonia Kennan has to be in your top five. Right. I mean, she's going to be seated. She's going to come into the new year probably so ready to go. So, yeah. you know. You can't you can't sleep on Kennan. Better results in twenty twenty two. Sonia Kennan or Bianca Andrescu? Kennan. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I Mostly because of health. I think Kennan's gonna be able to come back healthy. Bianca, you never know. Yeah, no, very, very Which good is point. Tough. No, I agree right, with can, you. Yeah. Two who, players who, who to watch. Four? So my four is Ann Lee. So you throw oh, her yeah, in sorry. here. And just I I do want to throw two questions at you for both of them. First, Claire Lou, something to watch. What's the next step for her? It's it, it's same with everyone though when it comes to breaking the top 100 is trying to hold on to it you know you want to try not to slip backwards and that's a big a big factor you know you kind of I think people call it like the the freshman you know the sophomore slump or something sure so it's like you crack the top 100 this year can you maintain that can you even go up upwards versus sliding backwards that's a big one and what would that do to her confidence if she does drop out of the top 100. Um, and then consistency, yeah, being able to play week in and week out and being able to pick your schedule more carefully. Now that you're top 100, you can be a little bit more picky. So mm-hmm. let's see what she does with that. My sophomore slump came when my sophomore fall in college, in lieu of going out to what would have been a very fun date party, I decided to watch quarterfinal Friday at the Sacramento Challenger because Jared Donaldson was playing, Stefan Kozlov was playing, Ryan Williams, Kudlow was playing Smechek. That's like prime nerddom for me. Yeah, you're learning a lot about me right now, as you can tell. Do I regret the decision, though? Not really. Like, you know, it it, it was worthwhile in the end. But to your point, yes, let's move on, uh, I suppose, to the next name on our list. Number four for me was Ann Lee. Uh, I am curious if, again, and I know you're forced, and we just made the adjustment there, but one thing for Ann Lee as well 
for me, it's the, it's the serve. It's just like, how does she make points a little bit more easy for herself? Because I think she's got the game to, you know, the five-plus shot rallies, I think she's going to be great in. But as we learn, whether it's from the Universal Tennis Studies or any of the other statisticians out there, what is it, 70% of points, 75 are, you know, zero to four shots. And that, to me, is the difference, right, between top 100, top 50, top 30. We saw Shelby, her serve plus one can beat anyone. Does Ann Lee have that gear in her? That's tough. I don't know. I think I think not having a weapon is is going to be detrimental in the long run. So you got to make sure that there's something there. So that's that's a, that's a great question for yeah, the that, next year for for her development as and I mean she's young, right? So there's time. Yeah. No, that's the next one to watch. Well, then, all right. Top three. The three names are obvious: Pagula, Collins, Goff. You've got right. them. I've got them. Now the question is, what order? Let Due the fun to my begin. role as the marketing manager of Universal Tennis, I'm going purely based off UTR rating and that <laughs> I means like this. that means coco goff is number three because technically she's ranked number 22 in wta but number 27 in our ratings and then i'm going with collins because she's actually ranked number 22 in our ratings between nine wta and then this is the absolute best one pegula is number nine number 18 on wta and number 12 on our ratings which is like pretty pretty high because that kenan's kenan's not there no that's so all this Sorry, number does eleven is, on our ratings. Wow, even higher. I like this. All this does is confirm the validity of my list because number Good. one Pagula, number two Collins, number three Goff. I agree with the order. I agree with the UTRs. And let's start at the top. Why is Jess Pagula number one? Well, just a fun again stat from UVR our friends at Tennis Abstract. Since the start of 2018, three players have averaged a break percentage over 47% for the course of the season. And again, 47%, you're essentially breaking serve every other time. It's Simona Halep, who did it in both 2018 and 2019, which like, lol. Um, Oh, and 2020. Um, It's Iga Swiatek, who did it last season in an abbreviated time period because she was, I mean, go watch her French Open. She could break serve whenever she wanted. That padded that number. And it's Jess Pagula this year. That's a pretty nice list to be on. And obviously, the countless quarterfinals in hardcourt matches, you name the event she uh, on hardcourt, she made the quarterfinals of it. But it wasn't just that, you know, I think it was third round U.S. Open, just the con- uh, French Open, excuse me, and the consistency for her week in, week out. She was the best American in women's tennis this year. And that was not a take I think anyone had it entering this season. It's just... I, I guess, what what did you see from Pagula? What do you think clicked so well for her this year? So what I think made a difference, and again, I'm maybe a little bit biased, but I was at World Team Tennis last summer, and mm-hmm. she was playing incredible tennis. And I was obviously a very different time because we were fully in the pandemic, and there wasn't anywhere really to play. But I think things started clicking for her last summer. So going into this year, she had new confidence. She's a coach in David Witt. I mean, that's an incredible person to have in your corner. And when she was talking with me, she told me that, like, he was a big influence for her because when she won her first WTA title in Washington, he just said, why not you? You know, mm-hmm. anyone could win these tournaments. Why not you? So, like, I think a lot of it is her confidence and her her ability to hit hit out on balls and to do it rep- rep- repetitively. Like, at the Australian Open, she really was looking supremely confident. And for her game style, she needs that. She can't back down. She has to be super aggressive. So, I think that's a big factor was just having the confidence and her game is so well-rounded. So it's also a big thing. And she got married this year. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, that's no distraction. She was calm about that as well because (laughs) the pandemic ruined that initially. And then she managed to bounce back with that as well. Very I like that. And it's again, it's a victory of victories. Now here would be my pushback. Again, I mentioned it. She's number one in break percentage amongst top 50 players. She's breaking serve over 47% of the time. My question to you amongst top 50 players, what does she rank and hold percentage? Ooh, I don't know. Do you want to guess or do you want me to give it to you? I want to say that she's not good, just judging your tone of voice. Yeah, I, that's the problem is I'm so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I lay out but the track I there. think that her serve could improve because she has like a, she has the potential there for having a, string, a strong serve. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Where so, does she rank? Tell me. So 48th 
amongst top Ooh. 50 players. She holds okay. serve this year 63.2%. The average amongst top 50 players is 70.4. Now, Look, again— you need to have things to improve and strive for. And, you know, exactly. No one's the term low-hanging fruit comes to mind. Exactly. Like, talk about a low-hanging fruit for improvement statistically. And you also mentioned it. I don't think it's a structural thing. Like, I don't think she has a bad serve. And that, to me, is what was so fascinating because— I don't think she's a great mover. I think she's a good mover. Like, I, I don't think Jessica Pagula will ever struggle with her movement. At the same time, I do wonder, is that, like, the difference that, you know, the return comes back just deep enough and just, you know, whatever, well-placed enough that it exposes that lack of elite first step? And again, we're talking about the margins here because Jess Pagula put together a number 12, 11 season, excuse me, by UTR and a top 15 season by points race and just— you know, whatever metric you want to go by, she was that good this season. And yet, you know, again, the whole percentage was, I mean, it's obviously a career high for her and break percentage, historic sort of season in that regard. But even if that comes back to life a little bit, she's always been good at returning serve. She's usually been better than she has been at, at holding serve. And I do wonder, was she just breaking so frequently? Things got a little clumsy in some service games. You're up for love. Ah, you throw a service game away, whatever that may be. Like I do... I just don't think that number is that I just it feels a little noisy, right? Like it doesn't feel real. I don't consider her a number forty eight server. No, it's surprising. It's definitely surprising, but like you said, low hanging fruit. And if I had something I had to improve on for twenty twenty two and I could pick, the serve seems like the easiest thing to fix. So mm-hmm. and it's not structural. That's also kind of a good and a bad thing because it means there's a lot more to figure out there. But I think she'll figure that out with David Witt. Yeah. And again, top twenty from her. Can that be duplicated in 2022? I do. Absolutely. Like, especially on hard courts now, I feel pretty good you pencil her into round of 16s. Absolutely. I don't see why not. Again, I mean, got to make sure the health is there because she also has had some injuries, but uh, definitely someone mm-hmm. that's going to be consistent, I think, at least top 30 next year. Mm-hmm. And so that is something, obviously, we will continue to monitor. And it is worth mentioning because we talked about all of the hard court success and obviously quarterfinals for her at Indian Wells uh, was another big result we saw. But, you know, again, it wasn't a poor, I suppose, grass or clay court season. Quarterfinals in Berlin, she loses in three to Vika. You know, three-set loss to Samsonova at Wimbledon. Samsonova wins a grass court title, arguably one of the most impressive titles. Go look at the wins throughout the course of the year. And, you know, third round, three-set Lost to Kennan, defending finalist at the French Open. Not bad losses in the slam. And it also does feel like, despite all the success she had, what I don't think she advanced, you know, the quarterfinal in Australia, but then it, she could do better at the slams this year. Like, it does feel like there are some points there to supplement the ranking that helps her make a top 10 push. So I think Pagula is the pretty unequivocal number one. Here's my here's the the counterclaim to that though the zag dare I say as we get towards the end of today's show when you look at Jess Pagula yes I thought she was the most consistent player but I'm curious I don't know if there's a peak UTR function for Universal Tennis but if you look at who had the highest UTR throughout the course of the 2021 season I actually think the answer to that question has to be Danielle Collins like I do think Danielle Collins in end of July early August was the best run we saw from any American throughout the course of the year. And that's why she's got to be number two on this list over Goff because her peak, in my opinion, is the best right now in American women's tennis. Um, That is a great question and something that I can pull up. But Ooh. I see your argument because I do think that Collins had a run there in the middle of the year that was very, very strong. So the can I filibuster titles. while you pull that up? Because I, I have a filibuster yeah, for you for here. Um, and while I do, you know, you talk about for Danielle Collins and, you know, again, the, the actual success she had. And it's worth mentioning Pagallon, Collins and Pagula Collins. That's their joint name. Uh, Collins and Pagula played in Montreal <laughs> round of 16. It was a 7-5 and a third set win for Pagula over Collins in that matchup. But you look for Danielle Collins, you know, that Montreal match came at the end of what was just – this sensational run and you know she is someone who also got healthy this season and she talked about you know finding out what had been ailing her over the course of the previous seasons at the start of the year and just getting healthy it felt like she'd finally found her rhythm where what was it? I think she went semifinal title title she wins San Jose was so impressive uh in doing so throughout the course and you know she's another one of those uh, there are uh, eight players who finished top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season Danielle Collins is one of them. Jessica Pagula is not. She went 40 and 15 on the year, uh, Nina. That's, you know, 73% win percentage. And here's the run. So she goes 
Budapest semifinals loses to Angelina Kalanina, who will always be the 2020 Midland champ in my mind. That's how I will remember her. Um, yeah, wow. Palermo title, where you know she beats Russo, who I think had won a title the week before. Then goes to San Jose, beats Shelby Rogers, Sloan Stevens, Elena Rabakina, Anaconia, Daria Kasatkina to win that title. I put that five-match run up against any five-match run throughout the course of the 2021 season. And then for her, you know, again, Montreal round of 16, U.S. Open third round, she loses 3-3 three and three to Sabalenka. She didn't play her best tennis there, but, you know, goes and has a super successful Billie Jean, Cup where, uh, Billie Jean King Cup where she beats, you know, Cerebes Tormo, beats Pavlichenkova, ended the year strong before bowing out to Risk and Linz. Like, I that you could argue post-Wimbledon from, yeah, Budapest to the end of the season, she was the best American in American women's tennis. And again, I think Pegula has to be number one, but it's a very, it's one A to Collins's one B. Yeah, I think, I think I see your point in looking at the parts of the season. If you're looking at just UTR rating though, which we, you mentioned earlier, um, the highest was actually Pegula. She got to 12.97 in around May, early summer. So like post-Dubai uh, and everything French open range. Yeah. So it sure. just depends on the swing of the season. You know, obviously, Danielle had that incredible streak, but she didn't get close to 13 at any point. So, and also that depends on who she's playing, right? Yeah. So your, your rating depends on who you beat and who you lose to and all that, and the games won and lost. So it's dicey, but look, both of them are are are, are making a plug or a, a run for number one. I see it. Yeah. No. Or top I, American. I also, like, I swear to God, Danielle Collins could win a Grand Slam. Like, in this chaos, in this era, not to be disrespectful to Jessica Pagula, but we've seen her in a semifinal in Australia. And there are those times where, again, if she's moving well, Danielle Collins is just going to hit you off the court. Like, she's got, dare I say, fuck you power. Like, we, we, there's a running gig here at Crack Rackets. I call it Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club because she set the standard, you know, power tennis. And Osaka's got the corner house, and Kavitova's got a really nice spot as well. And Ostapenko's the spot at the end of the neighborhood. Some Halloween, she goes all in. Other times, the lights are off. Danielle Collins doesn't quite have, you know, home ownership in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, but she can come golf whenever she wants and come hang out for dinners. Like, she has that gear to her, Nina. Oh my God, you're such a nerd. <laughs> hey, it's December seventh. I gotta fill time. Okay. Um, do you want in wow. on the board? By the way, right now the board is me, Jeff Sackman, David Kane. No. <laughs> but I appreciate the invite. Yeah, Jeff got on because he suggested that in the Power Tennis Country Club main office, the director's office, there's a safe that no one knows the code to, but eventually you're going to unlock and someone will figure out the code and they'll open the safe and it'll just be a picture of Sabalenka. And it'll just be like, oh, we figured it out now. That's the recipe. That's it. And so I was like, you're thinking correctly. You're on. <laughs> you're in. So that's, that's too good. Yeah, this is, again, daily podcast, 50 weeks a year. I, I've lost my mind. You're I doing an incredible job. I got to oh, give you credit for that. Thank you. I would say my UTR did peak over 13 this year. I think I hit that. Um, Absolutely. You're nearing party levels. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right. With that said, final name on this list, Coco Goff, who, by the way, let's not forget, first Grand Slam quarterfinal of her career in at the French Open this season. And I would argue maybe she's got the highest peak UTR because she was that good at the start of the year. And it there was like a hot second, the hottest of seconds where you thought, is she about to win this French Open? And, you know, with all due respect to Jennifer Brady, I don't think anyone thought she was going to beat Osaka. Now, if you did, shout out to you. I, I certainly did not. Um, I think Goff might actually have come the closest of any American woman to winning a slam this year, despite not making the final round again. Another egregious take to end the show. Um, but I, I do think when you look age 17 for Coco Goff, you look at her comparisons, she's not quite on – you know, no one's on the Hingis tier. You know, no one's on the Celis tier. Not quite Sharapova, Serena either. But she's hovering around what the Ennins of the world, the Kleisters of the world had done by that age. And like, how can you look at 2021 and say it was anything but a step forward for her? Exactly. She's so young. But I, I, I feel like when we were looking at the French Open, I did think, yeah, there's a good chance Coco Goff wins this. But it kind of felt like a disappointment when disappointment when she didn't win it which is a bummer because she's so young and we shouldn't be thinking and she shouldn't be thinking like that especially um she won a wta title so that's obviously another incredible achievement for someone so young um i I don't know i think i think when you look for her potential i think she could win any grand slam 
if the stars align perfectly and you know it takes a lot for that to happen if you said Daniel Collins can, can win a major why can't Coco so mm-hmm. I like it well then with all that said two well and I guess I do want to do quick deep dive on the golf stats because you do look for Coco Golf, and I've kept you over time here but you knew that was going to happen uh, about 45 minutes is rounded up usually I've been told 45 minutes to me is actually an hour and a half and that 30 minutes is an hour um, so you just double whatever I tell you um, but you know again we're working on it brevity that's the theme of this offseason you look for Coco Golf though uh, this year I mean there were times when she was top 10 ELO rated player I actually again I'll filibuster here I'm curious if she top 13 on UTR at any point this season but I could, because I feel like at the start of the year she very well could have by the way I'm still reeling at the fact that you've solved my nerddom that that I'm like yeah, yeah I'm thinking I'm you're like welcome. damn you're on to me <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely I'm not the only one either uh no so she actually has was not close to she was close but she's not over 13 this year only Pagula has been okay got that but you look for golf 36 and 16. She's consistent. Yeah, she won 70% of your matches. That's how you move up another stage in the rankings, and she did that this year. She cracked the top 20 for the first time. And again, start of the season, you know, semifinals Adelaide, which was a good bounce back post-Australian Open where a tough draw, but she beats Teichman. That's a victory that is appreciated with time before getting knocked out by Svitolina. Obviously, semifinals Rome, title in Parma, quarterfinals Roland Garros. She was that good. She was the best American on clay, like I think pretty unequivocally, and that means something. Um, that said, you know, again, big picture golf. What's the next thing you'd like to see from her? Oh, that's tricky because you don't want to put any pressure on a teenager. She's so young and you want her to do well in every tournament, but that's unrealistic. I think mm-hmm. focusing on the grand slams is important at this stage. Um, and she's, she's already doing that, right? She's doing well at the majors. But it, it just feels like a little bit of a letdown. So I don't, I don't know. I think I think what you want is for her to continue having fun, continue enjoying it, continue seeing her also be healthy. You never know what could happen. She's so young. You don't even know. She's not even done growing, probably. I don't even know how that works. So like you got to be taking things slowly, but focusing on the right weeks. So I think she has the right team around her to figure that all out. But yeah, I, I think the, the goal is to not to put too much expectations on her career high this season and hold percentage career high this season and break percentage she was better this season just by the metrics and I think eye test proves that as well and again in terms of low-hanging fruit it's just like the forehand we know that's the side that that's going to get targeted on the return of serve and I don't think it's a fundamental flaw like I do think it's just a repetitions thing and again to get this many reps before you're even 20 years old it's a good thing for her moving forward two final questions for you before I let you go a Better season overall, American men, American women. Ooh, just based on like how many women are in the top 100, I have to go with American women. Yeah, I see. I would swerve there and say based on how many American men are now in the top 100, I think the take might be American men just because it's surprise. Like American women's depth, I think there were 18 in 2020 and 16 in 2019. Like that's been a thing that we've been spoiled by on the women's side. There's sure. depth on the men's side now, and that was there not is. a thing before. There is. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's more potential for the women just because we don't yes. have Novak Djokovic. That's nailed it. That's a very, yeah. very good point, which brings me to part two, and I think you've just answered it. 2020s, who's the outlook better for, the men or the women? Definitely the women, yes. again, because we don't have Novak Djokovic, but because we also kind of don't really have Serena Ravinas, and you just you, there seems to be so much hope and opportunity on the women's side mm-hmm. as opposed to the men where it, it doesn't feel that way yet. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Well, then, with all of that said, it was good. Heavy disagreements at the start, more agreeing towards the end. That's that's all we can Thanks ask for. Thanks to UTR rating. Yeah, Another shameless plug. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, with all that said, speaking of shameless plugs, give me the rundown. What, what should we expect from you? Where can we find your work? What What's brewing at Universal Tennis? Yeah, we have so much going on. We just have uh, Tennis Australia signed on, and they now their official rating is UTR rating. They're the first governing body to do that, so that's pretty big news coming out of our end. And then we just launched the 2022 calendar for the UTR Pro Tennis Tour, so that's pretty exciting. And just wrapped up the first ever Universal Tennis Junior Nationals in Vegas, and plan to do that again next year. There's so much going on. It's it's kind of a bit chaotic, but also really fun. Yeah. Uh, most of my work is actually just on UniversalTennis.com. You can find me there. Mm-hmm. And then my uh, my Instagram and Twitter is the same, at Nina Pantic one so that hasn't changed. Yeah, I love it. Is the most surprising part about going to work for UTR is finding out that Parse is a real human? 
I met him for the first time last week, and he was a lot taller than I thought he would be. <laughs> he was you know, great. I think that's a common theme. An asset. Well, I could not agree more. And again, he's the Woj to my shams. He pushes me to just be better. It's like you got to beat him to a scoop one of these days, Alex. Uh, anyways, that's a personal thing. But it's it's so funny to hear that. I think there's this perception, I blame Ben Rothenberg, that people on tennis Twitter are short. And it's just like – because every time it's like, oh, you're taller than I expected. That That's a frequent thing I've heard. It's just interesting. For me, it's the, Zoom. When you see people on Zoom, yeah. you just don't really know. You just don't yeah. know what to expect. Well, so let it me was elongate great this having neck. the team together. Let it was great just, meeting Parsa. Yeah, I freaking love Parsa. He's a, I, he is a man of I'm, – I'm a big fan of his. And I got to hang out with Steven Amritage, uh a little bit down in Orlando, and I've seen him a couple of places now. Big fan of everything you guys are doing at Universal Tennis. And, hey, Universal Tennis Pro Circuit – Oracle left a hole, and like, there's no denying it's so admirable what you guys are doing, and we're excited to monitor it all. We'll have to get you on the show at some point just to talk about all things Universal Tennis because Absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty to discuss. There is. There's so much to discuss, and there'll be so much more to discuss in 2022, so don't worry. I love it. Well, with that in mind, any final thoughts? That's it. I cannot wait to do this again very soon. Awesome. Well, Nina, thank you for having me. Hopefully the podcast muscles were properly flexed. Um, And yeah, very excited to get to do this again in the near future. So take care and we will talk soon. Cool. Thank you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with Nina Pantic. A huge thank you to her for her patience, her tolerance of my nonsense. We're actually going to have her on the show a couple of times over the next month to break down some of our other off-season topics. I always enjoy picking her brain and very much look forward to doing so throughout the course of this month. So again, big thank you to Nina for taking the time to chat today. Of course, this is just one of the many pieces of off-season content we've got coming your way here at Crack Rackets. I mentioned at the top, you want to go hear from the Australian Open wildcard challenge winner. You can hear from Stefan Kozlov on Tuesday's mini break podcast feed. Of course, I talked to Jeff Sackman to discuss our statistical takeaways from the 2021 season. Talked with David Gertler, David Kane about who we thought should be the ATP WTA award winners. Have another fun one with David Gertler coming up tomorrow. And again, we're going to get our usual cast of characters here on the podcast to talk about the many different things percolating in the tennis world this offseason. Not just on the court off the court as well the economics all of the vaccine related questions covid related questions we have heading into 2022 we'll try to cover it all here on this podcast over the next few weeks so of course to ensure you don't miss out on any of the content go like rate subscribe review to this podcast mini break podcast cracked interviews podcast and our cracked rackets youtube show uh channel in fact you might as well just set crackedrackets.com as your homepage for the next month of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, Nina Pantic, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.